Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And today's episode, we are joined by Yoni from Multiply Me. Now, if you're someone who's wanting to be bringing on outsourced staff, understanding how to really effectively manage them and what sort of things you should be looking for when it comes to onboarding new team, this is an episode you will not want to miss. And of course, if we can ever help you with your marketing, just head over to www.joinmygroup.com.au where we will help you with all things marketing, uh, bringing new people into your world before you obviously need uh, new staff members to help fulfill. Uh, so just head over there. Otherwise, until then, let's jump into the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Thanks for having me, Kim. It's a pleasure. Great to have you. Now, I always like to kick off the podcast the same way every time, which is if I met you at a party and you and I were chatting and I said to you, Yoni, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? Ooh, that is a tough question. That's a tough uh, question to kickstart it. I would say, uh, yeah, a few things. Empowering people to make uh, maybe not better life decisions, but empowering them to live a better life. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, I think that's pretty strong. Now, of course, then it has to be followed up with. How do you do that? You know, how do you how do you help them make those decisions? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I set up a couple of businesses about three years ago, but the the driving mission behind all of it was how to create. Uh, an environment where people are paid fair wages, healthcare, social security, all the healthcare benefits in a remote environment without compromising on what it would be. And, you know, I specifically work with talent out of the Philippines. So, you know, we have over 300 people on payroll now and that that's really it. It's how many, you know, how many lives are impacted because we exist in market today is sort of, you know, makes it very easy to get up in the morning. So I'd say that's, that's how I do it is by creating better professional opportunities for people's careers, specifically in the Philippines. And what got you into that? Did you just, you know, read the four-hour work week and you're like, yep, yeah, cool, there's people out there doing stuff. I need to go and, uh, and help them get better opportunities or like what kicked it all off for you? Yeah, yeah. I, I have like a love-hate relationship with what the four-hour work week <laughs> did for uh, the Philippines. T- to be honest, I wouldn't be in a position now if it wasn't for reading Tim Ferriss's book. So, you know, all all credit for the publicity, but I think that um, it, it was through experience. I mean, I grew up in agency land. I, I grew up in a couple of agencies, one in Australia, one in Los Angeles, and effectively built that model with talent out of the Philippines for my own e-commerce business and just realized that the caliber of talent there, once you sort of move beyond like the VA culture, is, you know, it's not even that it's world-class. It's better than any talent that I've ever worked with in my life to be, you know, very, very blunt about it. So that was sort of the catalyst. And then on the back of that, I realized there was some incongruencies as to, you know, being a US-based or Israeli-based or Australian-based business, you know, the salary of 2 and $3 doesn't make sense when I can pay 6 and 7 and $8 and not have someone compromise on what their lifestyle looks like, actually giving them a better lifestyle and having a much better output. So I guess that was sort of the the brainchild or how it, it sort of rolled into what it is today. And so like, let's tell me a little bit more about that story there, break it down a little bit more. So obviously you're working in some agencies in Australia, US, and then like, what were some of the, the trigger points that, you know, made you jump from there into, into what you're doing now? 
Yeah, well, so I lived, I, I sort of spent five years in agency land in in Australia, maybe a little more, um, working with Mercedes Benz and Mondelez Craft Foods. So you know, sort of the time where there wasn't social media for brands. So I launched Mercedes Benz Australia New Zealand's Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and Pinterest. Probably, I want to say sort of two thousand nine, something something around that time. And sort of grew up in that experience of sort of what it was like to build an agency and did the same in the US. And when I moved to Israel about five years ago, I met a couple of guys at an Amazon business. They were doing about $2 million in revenue and they got stuck, which I think is pretty typical for, for e-commerce businesses. You know, At some point, you have to start building systems or bringing in real high-level talent to, to specialize in the things that they do. So effectively, in that experience about five years ago, led me to finding the caliber of talent that existed in the Philippines sort of at that level. And I built the model effectively in a small environment. We were able to grow that business from two to 5 million in 12 months and it was acquired. And so on the back of that, I just realized, look, we could firstly help a lot of Filipinos in gainful employment into working with high level Western companies. And also obviously a lot of Western companies playing that geolocation-based arbitrage, helping them, you know, find high-level talent and actually being better managers as well. So that was that was how it came to be. And I guess like the the social mission attached to it, if you will. I don't know if you could even call it that because um, you know we are for profit here. So uh, but but the the ultimate goal for me was when I asked a couple of the team members that were in that last business with me, you know, what were you getting paid in corporate Philippines at the peak of your career? And it was somewhere between two and, uh, you know, it was two to three times more corporate Philippines than what we were paying. And it didn't make any logical sense to me that we would pay less money for a business that arguably is making more money. And so that was sort of the catalyst. And so exploring, you know, how do you approach healthcare and HMO and social security and all these things was sort of the start of it. And yeah, and, and I guess that's probably been a bit of our secret sauce as to how we've been able to attract such great people. I do want to dive down a little bit more of that route in just a sec, but I have to ask, what what drew you to uh, to Israel? Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, so I was sponsored on a visa um, in the US and I just, I didn't really believe in the direction of the agency and where they were headed. And so I had the option either find another job and I had 90 days to do that or, you know, see what was next. And my dad's actually originally from Israel. So I have an affinity to to the country and had come a lot, you know, back and forth growing up and probably hadn't been for about six or seven years. And honestly, I got here, Kim, two days later, I was like, why on earth would I leave this incredible? I'm talking more specifically about Tel Aviv. It's, you know, to give you a 20 second overview, you're talking about 300 days of summer. Uh, I would argue the greatest culinary scene on the planet where the city is, you know, probably the size, I mean, you're from Perth, I'm from Melbourne, but seriously, probably the size of a large suburb. You know, it's tiny. It's about 10 kilometers north-south and maybe six kilometers east-west. And so you walk everywhere, you're on the beach, It's everything's accessible. If the cost of living was a little bit low, it'd be nice, but I'd say, you know, that's the price you pay uh, for living here. But it's just an amazing place. Also, the, you know, I'm sitting in a WeWork right now, Every literally every startup around me is they've raised 70 million, they've raised 50 million, those guys, 20 million. Like there's a huge sort of juxtaposition of this old world meets this new world VC backed uh, explosion. So just a really exciting environment. 
Nice. That's awesome. I've heard uh, really good things. So it's, uh, it's definitely on now that we're, you know, allowed to leave the country and travel the world again. Uh, it's definitely one of the ones uh, high on my list. Um, now, back to the, to the VA side and the, or the Filipino worker side and whatnot, um, what's the, like, what are the rate differences between someone who's being well looked after, who then obviously is a potentially a, you know, more experience, a, a better talent, if we will. What's the sort of difference between your general, I'll say like a basic VA and then also versus that same level of talent in like in America and Australia? Like what are the kind of like the gaps in between? Yeah. So I would say like as a baseline and the way I look at it and my position generally in life is like, what's the value creation here? So I'm less looking at the dollars and numbers into the business, for example, or that cost. What value, you know, what's the leverage that can be produced if we had this person or this software or this tool or whatever it looks like? And so I would say typically you're looking at anywhere from about 70% of the cost, maybe, maybe let's say between, you know, on the low end, you could have maybe 50 to 80% would be sort of that range. So if you're going to pay if you're going to pay $100,000 for someone in the US, then you're going to be looking at paying someone out of the Philippines at the same caliber or better, probably, you know, $25,000, dollars $40,000 a year. And so I would say, you know, if I want to break it down really simply, you could go on something like onlinejobs.ph, which is what I like to call the gateway drug to the Philippines, where you find sort of low-skilled, uh, very ambitious people that are willing to work for maybe three, four dollars an hour. I mean, the rates continue to go up, but you know, a couple of years ago that might have been two or three dollars. But once you sort of start hitting that upper echelon of, of of really high quality talent, I mean I've got people on my payroll that we're paying seriously close to five thousand dollars a month US. So that would be equivalent though to someone that would be on, you know, at least a quarter of a million dollars uh in the US. And so again, it comes down to how you're sort of building your workforce and what you put value in. But I'd say that's atypical. Like, you know, you wouldn't see many other companies probably uh, outlaying that much unless you're, you know, a large enterprise company. But I'd say the safe the safe spot or the sweet spot where I'd say you're going to find good talent and it's not going to break the bank. And, you know, if you're sort of starting off on this journey, I'd say anywhere from sort of five, six, seven, eight, up to about $12 an hour is, is the range that you're going to look at finding some pretty heavy hitting talent from let's say a five or six dollar an hour that might be like a, a junior graphic designer and you know 11 12 dollars an hour might be a heavy hitting ops manager for example and what's like for what's the difference in how are you finding them versus like the overly ambitious guys on on uh, online jobs who are like I'm worth 10 bucks an hour versus the ones that are actually worth like, obviously worth more than that you know what I mean for sure, for sure. Well, I mean, you know, we have an unfair advantage in that I've got a recruitment team of now over 20. And so we've also got a process improvement management consulting practice that designs our systems on how we actually build out our, our internal workflows and our operations. So for us, we spend a lot of time headhunting. I would say, you know, looking in the areas where you're going to find professionals. So we spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, literally scouring for, for talent that makes sense for businesses that we're actively searching for candidates for. There's a lot of, in ways I would call it like gated, um, gated style um, job boards 
whereby you have to be incorporated in the Philippines or have access to a number of these job boards. And so you sort of, you know, as a, as a Westerner, you're not seeing the full gamut of what's actually there and possible. And I'd say as well, you know, if you're going to put out into the world transactional things like we'll pay five bucks an hour on, on PayPal, and that's what we're putting out into the ether, then that's what you're going to get back. Whereas if you're thinking about, well, how does this really impact their lives? And, you know, 13th month is a critical thing. You know, we even are thinking about doing a campaign about paying 14th month for roles that are really hard to find. So giving them a double pay on their already double paid month. So just, I guess, ways in which sort of rewiring the way you think about bringing talent to your business, how do you incentivize them to deliver high quality work that's aligned with your business objective? Is a really long-winded way of uh, answering you, Kim. <laughs> no, it's great because I th- I've had like it's, it's funny. Probably in the last like twenty podcasts that I've recorded, three people now uh, have been in a similar space where they've been like uh, tapping into the more skilled areas of um, the Philippines and the more experienced areas of the Philippines and uh, South America and things like that. And um, it's it's just interesting to me because yeah, like I think a lot of people like similar to myself, it's like you've we've read the four hour work week. And um, the only thing I really got from that was going, okay, cool. There is a place where you can get VA. So I remember when I very first started, I had just little tasks and stuff. So I jumped on and started playing with it. But for me, I never thought to look outside of that. I was like, oh, this is a place where you get VAs from in the Philippines. You know what I mean? Until I started tap- seeing people that have their own recruitment agencies and whatnot. And even them, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to sometimes separate the wheat from the chaff as it is because it's, You've got people that have, well, I've had uh, virtual assistant recruitment companies that have gotten me a candidate that also contacted me from online jobs. So I was like, well, am I just paying these guys like extra money for them to manage and source them for me, but I'm just getting it from the same like location. So it's just so interesting to know uh, how people approach it and look at them differently because as you mentioned, like there's many different ways to do it. And obviously if you're promoting all of these extra benefits, healthcare, all that sort of stuff, it makes more sense in how you can attract that, I suppose, like higher caliber of talent as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'd say as well, like just to sort of uh, add a bit of fuel to the fire on that on that point, I've got in, in our consulting practice, I'd say nearly maybe 20 of our team members are ex-Ernst & Young. A lot come out of Accenture, a lot come out of Deloitte. Essentially, have 70,000 people plus deployed into the Philippines, just to give you context. Like, you know, I'm not this genius that's inventing some new way of, of working. We're simply leveraging, I guess, what a lot of the big boys do in finding high caliber talent, investing in their education and bringing them up to a level where, you know, again, I'd argue that my consulting team are 10 times more capable than I am for sure, but most business owners in what they're able to produce. And so... You know, it's about shifting that mindset, especially going through a pandemic and understanding that, you know, we're all now capable of working remote. You have to get used to building those structures and systems on what it is to not come into a, you know, a unified office space. And, you know, ultimately, if you can harness that power, you know, the whole equation changes. I think that's so true. And like, what are the sort of, um, I know, obviously, you mentioned like you you'll go and uh, headhunt and chase down for certain clients and whatnot. What are what are some of the key positions that you've seen people uh, look for out of the Philippines that maybe obviously because you know like 
general assistants, executive assistants, office assistants, office admin people always kind of look for that. But what are some of the uh, the other sorts of roles that you've seen people starting to be able to, or even yourself within your companies, um, being able to find and, and bring through? Well, I'd say for for my companies, every every role. I mean, we're about three hundred and thirty on payroll, and internally there's maybe a hundred and ten that report into me. And I'd say outside of myself, my co-founder, who's also Australian, also living in Israel, and our chief growth officer, and an intern that we just turned into our you know into our data science team. Um, everyone's out of the Philippines, so you know from our brand strategist to our entire you know, 16-person marketing function, you know, uh, to our operation. So so every role is possible. I think that's the first thing. But I'd say in terms of roles that we're specifically seeing a lot of um, attraction or attention sort of put toward, placing a lot of operations managers, uh, placing a ton in sort of the Google AdWords, Amazon PPC space. We're also pretty centralized or focused on on e-commerce. So the roles that we're looking to place typically are, are aligned with that. So graphic designers, uh, I would say Amazon and e-commerce brand managers. I mean, honestly, a lot of data analysts and data scientists, like we've just built out an entire biz ops function. And again, we're finding really strong candidates in that space. Anything that I'd say like in the Philippines, anything that's hyper analytical is great, but also really creative. Like it's sort of both extreme ends of the spectrum, you tend to find really high-level talent. What I would say, and you know, if I had any conversation with someone, is I think culturally, not the most entrepreneurial. As a, again, making like sweeping blanket statements, like if you're helping build at least a baseline set of parameters, then that's gonna that's gonna reflect a lot better. That's not to say there aren't incredible Filipino and Filipina entrepreneurs, but I'm just saying in my experience, you know, having things that might be very focused on US-based culture or Australian-based culture, unless they've worked in the space and worked with Australian you know, clients for extended period times, so those things can, can be a miss. How have you found, because I know a lot of people have uh, toted this in the past. I personally haven't had any success with it, but probably also because I'm just looking at online jobs. But uh, the space of like sales, appointment setting, things like that. What sort of um, yeah? What sort of experience have you seen or had in that space for uh, for teams over there? Yeah, we've we've built tons of customer success, customer support, and you know SDR teams. Um, I guess our model, though, just to be clear, it's quite different to the traditional BPO. Um, I'm like I'm like this close to like really just saying like that model is dead, and I just I I really find it hard to get behind it because just to make a distinction for anyone sort of listening to us now, the typical BPO model is you say, right, let's talk about appointment setters right now. So I'd come to you as the uh, the owner of an agency of a BPO business process outsourcing business. And I'd say, right, I want you to tee up 20 appointments for me each week. And that's sort of the baseline KPI that you need to hit. And then me as the BPO or you as the BPO in this case, you would say, great, you know, am I hitting my KPIs? Aren't I hitting my KPIs? And that's sort of the service delivery mechanic for us. We're placing full-time talent into businesses, more like a typical recruitment function with an onboarding component. So we want to set people up to be better managers and manage that relationship. So it's a lower cost model for the people that we work with, but the onus is on their ability to maintain you know, the KPIs and expectations while we help them build it. And the reason why I sort of go on, on this uh, diatribe, if you will, is because... 
I think it's so important for people to be building their own culture in their business. And that's just why we also didn't build like, you can have four hours of this person and six hours of that person. You know, when you're splitting between companies, between tasks, between, you know, you're not building specialized skill sets. And so coming back to sort of the mission around multiply me, it's very much about crafting and creating careers for people so that they can specialize in things that they're best at. And I think all of us as professionals should should be focused on not necessarily trying to get better at all the things that we're terrible at, but just focusing on the things that really sort of fill up our petrol tank and and push us forward. Yeah, I've always found that weird when people were coming. It's like, yeah, you've got like this person for this amount of hours and this for that. I'm like, well, like, what if I want them to be like on my team meetings and like, you know, every Friday we like have our wins and everyone shares like what, like, you know, all that sort of stuff. I'm like kind of weird when someone only like you've got people bouncing in and out. It's um yeah it's just it's not it's not sustainable when you're trying to really build a you know a, a business that sustains in market like again one of the things that we preach to the nth degree internally is about the delegation of accountability and responsibility not the delivery of tasks so it's not about building a task list and saying you have you know total ownership of this mission the outcomes that result in achieving that mission and you own it. So it's about extreme ownership. And I think, you know, again, where I'm just one person, you're just one person, there's only there's only so many hours in the week, especially productive hours. So handing that delegated responsibility off really changes the equation, at least in my opinion. No, that's that's awesome. And so what would be like, let's just say that someone brings on a uh, uh, a great person, like what are some of the, I don't want to say mistakes, but maybe it's like some of the initial things that people miss out on. That's the difference between having someone like successfully come into a company and culture versus it not working out so well. Yeah. I would say that it's uh it's typical, the same mistakes uh, are the ones that people typically, and I'm hundred percent guilty of doing this for many, many years. So no one is immune, but I would say it's about having lower expectations at the start in terms of a productive output. So we invest a lot of time in our onboarding and understanding, getting people, giving people a really clear sense of, what is our company culture? You know, who are the key people? What are, what's their accountability and responsibility? How does our company operate as a business? You know, we run on a methodology, a few different methodologies, but the main one is traction, uh, EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. And so having people read that book before they come in and understand, you know, what is an L10 meeting and what are the cadences around performance and how do things actually work? And I'd say as well, building a really clear onboarding plan. So what does the first 90 days look like from an educational standpoint, from an expectation standpoint? We map out every single week of the first 90 days. And then on the back of that, we also have the next 12 months ahead. What are the KPIs and expectations? What does to be unclear is to be unkind. And so I think if you sort of use that as the the thing that you you pin everything to, what you'll find is that when you build clarity, it's not about like, shit, they needed to get 25 calls, not 20, and it's a disaster. It's actually about the fact that we both know where we're working toward. And on the back of that, there's clarity and there's dialogue. It's, you know, I'd say as well as a business owner, if the hardest thing to do is to let someone go, especially when there's no key markers as to why, because you sort of just felt like it wasn't. But when you when you quantify the expectations and you have ongoing dialogue and you go through it, then both of you guys know either that's unrealistic expectations or that you know it's just not a right fit. And so you can move them into a different seat or move them on. But 
I think uh, there's a lot of there's probably a lot of points in there that uh, might help a few people. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I like that uh, that that one one line phrase for me there that you had that to be un- unclear is to be unkind. Like I think that's so important because I know that even for myself, again, you know, hand up, been guilty of that before, being like, oh, just uh, just do this stuff uh, and get them in, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, I definitely didn't give them clarity over what they uh, were going to be doing, so it's pretty hard to to set them up for success from that perspective. Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm still guilty of doing things, you know, no one, no one's immune. You get busy. There's a million things going on. And, you know, I work with an incredible executive assistant, shout out to you, Kate, for making uh, my life a lot more manageable, but you know, we're still perpetually evolving our operation together and how we can work more uh, efficiently, building better KPIs and expectations, you know, setting review components as to what's happening on a weekly basis, monthly, quarterly basis. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, about, um, it's about improvement, not excellence. Now, um, as we get towards the end of our time here together again, I, li- I like to ask another, another question, which is always the same, which is, is there a question which I haven't asked you yet that I should have? I mean, you've asked some pretty good questions, Kim. Uh, I would say one of the, maybe one of the critical things that people will typically ask me is, how do I know when it's time to, to actually bring someone on and hire a team member, you know, whether it's at a large, you know, I'm at a larger business and I ha- I've maybe gone through it a couple of times or, you know, it's my first time going through it and I don't really know, you know, I'm on that entrepreneurial hamster wheel where I'm trying to, you know, sort of hold on to everything and I don't know. So, I'd say to answer the question that I'm asking myself, <laughs> I would say, um, I'd say that getting clarity on how you invest your time every week is really important. So, for me, I go through and I literally earmark every minute of my working week. So I work typically between the hours of 10 a.m. through about 8 p.m. Is, is sort of the blocks that I would I would work. And inside of that, every single minute is accounted for and reviewed and assessed. And what I'll do at the end of every week is, is look back and, and decide how effective was that time investment and what does it look like. But the first step is understanding how I'm investing my time. So if you're trying to do it at home, I would say once you go through this journey, you know, or this process a couple of times, then start to look at all the uh, activities that you've done and then mark them a five. It has to be you. There's something deep, strategic, insights that only you have. Mark that as a five. It has to be you. If it's something that could be delegated, something that's a little bit lower level or really simple, and you know, let's use the executive assistant example. Kate manages my entire calendar and I don't I don't deal with any of my scheduling anymore. I would say mark those a one or a two. And so getting clarity on well, what's the role that I actually want to build as a first step would be a really smart thing to do in trying to understand like how do I stop working 168 hours a week? Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. Now, for anyone that's listening and they go, I like what you know. Um, what you're saying, I want to find out more about what he's up to. Where's the best place for people to connect with you online? Yeah, uh, if you want to check out any of the businesses that that I'm operating, uh, multiply me, but me spelt M I I. dot com is going to be the best one. Then you have weareescala.com. and lastly southcoal.co. But that's it. if you're an e-commerce business looking to sell in the next 24 months and a, and already doing a pretty uh, decent amount of revenue. Beautiful. 
Amazing. Uh, so, guys, if you uh, if you, wherever you're listening to this, above or below in the show notes, we'll have links to um, all of these businesses. You can go and check them out. And if you know anyone that uh, maybe needs to outsource or has tried outsourcing in the past and hasn't really done it effectively and uh, is curious to know what level of talent is out there and, and how they can actually set up for, for bringing on new talent, um, please share this episode so that they can uh, hear some of the wisdom that's been shared here today. Um, Yoni, again, thank you so much for making the time to join us. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kim. It was great. Cheers. Thank you.